Now we're on the uh, issue of the wiles of the devil, as Paul the Apostle warns in um, Ephesians chapter 6, that we should put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, we will be able to stand against the devil and his uh, schemes, and having done all things to stand. And as I've been um, pointing out in the past few teachings concerning this standing against the devil and his schemes, I see very many fallen Christians uh, around me. And I always say that I make a distinction between Christians and um, believers. There is Christendom, which encompasses everybody, that involves everyone, everyone and anyone who says they're Christian for whatever personal reasons they choose, they say they're Christians, maybe because they were born into it, maybe because um, they think it's just another nice religion, I think I'll go for that one, although I don't need to be in church until Christmas or something, they show up once or twice a year, Christmas and Easter, they say they're Christians too, we have those who belong to the Christian cults, who having deviated totally from the gospel of Christ, follow the organized religion of the establishment to which they believe they're Christians too. So everybody and anybody claims to be Christians, that's fine. But believers, believers are those people who actually have not just, they've heard the message of the gospel, they've embraced it as truth, and that message controls their lives. They're totally submitted to the lordship of Christ Jesus. Let's not forget that it isn't everyone who claims to follow Christ that actually is submitted to his lordship. Now, you cannot have Christianity without being under the lordship of Christ Jesus because he has bought us at a price. The Bible says you are bought at a price. You are not your own. So honor God with your body. So we belong to Christ and he is lord of our lives. Even as he said to us, I mean, even as he said in uh, chapter 14 of Luke, our Lord himself said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So he didn't give us maybes there like, well, okay, you know, you've got to, um, well, you've got to honor your wife or your husband or your parents over and above Christ. Yes, we're to honor these relationships, but never above our relationship with Christ. Because these people, whatever relationships we have in this world, will all end here. Our relationships here will not sustain to heaven. The only relationship we're going to have is as saints of Christ, as children of God, when we get to heaven. And that's different. You know, they're all the saints we meet, all the saints through all the ages. We're going to meet the Old Testament saints or the New Testament saints. All of us are going to be together in the presence of God because we are going to be the uh, the, the residents of the new earth. And at that time, the relationships we have here are not going to mean a thing. Husband and wife here, though being believers, though being saved, will not be husband and wife there. Parent and child here will not be parent and child there. We're all going to be individuals. Now, how God is going to reorganize all things, and all, I don't know. And it's not of primary importance to me at the moment. It is enough. The information is given us for today is enough for us to live by and to go by. So you see, there's no relationship in this world that can that should override that of Christ, you and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I hear a lot of things where people say, oh, well, if your wife doesn't like your faith, change it. If your husband doesn't like your, the service you do for Christ, well, you have to stop it. No, because they did not die for you and they cannot save you. 
And this is why the Bible says to us quite honestly that, you know, as a believer, you've got no business yoking up with the unbeliever. That's why believers ought to marry believers, because then you are both under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You both know what's in store. You both know that you honor Christ above yourselves. You both honor your marital commitment in view of Christ, in obedience to Christ. Not the sort of things, shambles that we got called marriages nowadays. Even the vows are being modernized where people don't. Marriage now is a question of, okay, let's give it a shot. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's a shame because that was never God's ordination for, 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 for family life or for marriage. And also now, I mean, the entire order is being changed. Now we're having homosexuals being allowed to raise children and they're having children. What's going on? That's not God's ordination of the family life. But we live in a world that is uh, increasingly secular, of course. That means increasingly dead and dying and increasingly destined for destruction. I mean, the more I look around at the world around me now, the more I understand what, you know, God's word, that he is not going to leave this world as it is. He is going to take it out. He cannot leave it like this. I doubt very much that the problems in the world, of the first world that got destroyed by the waters of a flood, were as grave as it is now. I know it must have been really, really vile for the loving and merciful God to have done what he did and destroying the the world, the earth and its inhabitants, save for Noah and, uh, and seven other members of his family. But I'm sure it's a lot worse now. And of course it's a lot worse now, because even now, it's, you know, we have a situation now where the name of God itself is being blasphemed left, right and center. The cross of Christ is being cheapened and dragged in the mud. The name of the Lord, the name above all names, He's being used for personal, foolish, and selfish gains. So yes, definitely things are a lot worse. Because at least in those days, the people didn't know God. They didn't want to know and they left it at that. So they did what they chose to do. But now, to be profaning the name of the Almighty, to be profaning the name of the Lord of life, is the gravest sin possible. And that's what is rampant nowadays. That's what we have now. But... For those who belong to Christ, we are warned severally. We have been given all the ammunition we need to stand in this battle called life on earth. It is a battle. And if you're a Christian and you don't appreciate or believe that you are in a battle in this life, you are fallen already. You've been defeated by this, by Satan already. The fact that you choose not to believe the word of God itself. Because Jesus Christ said, in this life, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He said, the world will persecute you, they will reject you. But remember, they did so to me, they rejected me. Now, if they've rejected me, hi, who am your master? Who are you not to be rejected? We need to understand that we are slaves of Christ. There's too much complacency today. The arrogance with which people come into Christianity. I'm a child of the kingdom. They teach you nice little slogans to say and endow yourself with. And so you think everything's fine. You can just go about your life and do as you please. Because you know what? Sin's been done with. Salvation's done with. So that's you've got nothing to worry about. All you've got to worry about now is set about your, your selfish and personal ambitions. With the name of Jesus there as a bit of a magic portion to help you achieve your selfish aims and worldly carnal aims. But it's not so. 
If you read the uh, Fox's book of martyrs, you'd be ashamed of what is called Christianity today. There were people just like you and I who lived as Christians in the past centuries. There's people who victoriously lived through this life. And when I say victoriously, I'm not, I'm not saying they were endowed with so much wealth and so much money and prosperity and, and what have you. It's nothing like that. They victoriously lived for Christ. When they came to Christ, they submitted to, to his lordship and they lived as slaves for Christ to the point of death. They did not mind. They lost their lives. That's why the martyrs. They lost their lives. The first time I read that book, I was on the train coming back from work in the morning. And I started to read it there and I began to shed tears profusely. I had to shut the book because I was very, because I thought people would think, was she weeping? Was she reading a book and crying for what, 6.30 in the morning? So in order not to attract undue attention, I had to shut it. But I couldn't wait to get home to carry on. And it totally humbled me. It absolutely humbled me that these were Christians, just like you and I say we are. But they had no concerns for this world. These people were killed in the most horrific manners because of their proclamation of Jesus as Lord. Their saying Jesus is Lord is not towards selfish aims as, as is done today. They knew they were children of the kingdom. They didn't shout and boast about it. They lived as citizens of the kingdom of God. That was their understanding of being children of the kingdom of God. And that should be our understanding today because anything less, I'm afraid, is not acceptable. So we have been saved by grace. So what? Are we then saved unto selfish ambition? No, we're not. We're saved unto good works. The reason we've been saved, and you should feel very privileged if you believe you are saved, because it is by God's sovereign choice. He did not have to choose you. He did not have to choose me for salvation. It is something which is a privilege we must appreciate, and in appreciation of it, we now live our lives for Christ. Absolutely totally, uncompromisingly. The world should mean nothing to us. Should mean absolutely nothing to us. We no longer run the race that the world is running. We're running a different race now. Let's look at the book of Revelation, chapter 12. And speaking then of the saints of God. From verse 10 to 11 of Revelation, chapter 12, the Bible says, then I had a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamp and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That is how to overcome the devil. Is testified. This is John in his revelation given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven as to what is going to happen, the state of the world now, the state of the world in the end. What's going to happen? We have, we know everything now because the, we have been given this revelation. So we know what is to come. So why do we then leave us though we don't know what is to come? So it says there, the accuser of our brothers is Satan because he was hurled down to the earth. We've covered that in previous teachings. Where Satan and a third of the angels in heaven, the demonic spirits that are uh, tormenting the peoples of the world today, were thrown down to earth. And they are here. This is Satan's territory. He's the prince of this world. He's the god of this age. And like I always say, we cannot deny him that. So you do not have the authority to do anything with him. You cannot bind him. You can't 
bind him, you can't cast him away, you can't do anything to him. The command we have is to resist him. That's all we can do, is resist him. And as we established in the, in, in the previous uh, sessions, Jesus Christ our Lord himself, during his temptation, when Satan went to him on a one-on-one -on -one contest to tempt our Lord, the Lord resisted Jesus, uh, Satan. He resisted Satan. Yes, by the word of his testimony, by the word of God. He upheld the word of God. Satan attacked him with the word of God. Jesus counter-attacked him with the word of God. And he won because the Bible says the devil left him. Satan fled for another opportune time. And he didn't stop. He did not stop his his. Um, he didn't stop his attacks against the Lord because, as you can know, at every time he every time he taught, Satan raised the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law to oppose him and everything. And they did that all the way to the false accusation that led him to the cross. And they nailed him and they crucified the Lord of Life. And they thought Satan thought he had the victory because he thought Jesus was dead. And so that's it. Bang! It goes the re God's redemption plan for mankind. He thought he had the victory. But lo and behold, to the glory of God, to the joy of all the saints who live faithfully for the Lord today, Jesus rose again on the third day. And that is our victory. That is our victory. That we also shall live forever because our Lord lives forever. That we also will not die because our Lord did not die. The death he died, he died for all of us who belong to him once and for all. So now the life he lives, he lives for all of us, so we all live eternally. He came to rescue, to redeem a people who will revert to God's plan one in the first instance of the sin-free life, of a life honoring to God, of a people belonging to God, amongst whom God will again walk one day, and he will be our God, and we will be his sons. That's the whole idea. So if you're still so attached to this world and you love this life so much and you love this world so much, unfortunately the Satan is defeating you already. If he's not defeated you already, I say defeating because you still have a chance to come back and stand. But if you do not believe you're in a battle, then you, you, you cannot stand. You're falling already. If you do not believe you're in a battle, you're falling already. It is a battle whereby you despise life, this very life. And this is what we just read in Revelation. He says, the people, the saints, overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, that blood has already been shed for us. We do not call on the blood and incite it as like, like a magic potion as it's done nowadays. The blood has been shed for us. We live under that truth. We live under that covenant. Not just screaming, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. Every time you see you think something that you think is daunting, or every time someone tells you you're possessed by a witch. We're not going to get the blood being poured down over us all over again. No, blood was shed. It's a spiritual thing. We know it's been shed once for all. We're not going to keep on getting the outpouring of the blood every second. We're not told to use the blood of Jesus as something of an incantation. There's so much deception around us, and people are not discerning enough to understand. Yes, I know, the blood was shed for me, and because the blood was shed for me, that is why I stand today. That is why I've been redeemed. That is why I'm saved. That is why I have eternal life. That is why I'm a child of God. That is why Jesus is the Lord of my life. And it says, and by the word of their testimony, your ability to proclaim your salvation, the reason for that you, have the, to profess, that you profess the faith you profess, 
your testimony, that you have not shied away from the battle. What's your testimony? Not the testimony is that um, all those rogue teachers bring people on their bring people on the television. I watch them every day. It's the most annoying thing. I only watch Christian channels when I don't have anything else to to watch. I just want to see catch up with the latest gimmicks going on in Christendom, you know. And they're bringing people out to come and big them up and give testimonies as to how well Pastor did and what Prophet said and what Daddy has done for me or what Mommy has done for me. A whole lot of nonsense. Things that are simple, benevolent acts of God, people come and give credit to a fallen man to say they did it for them. God said, I am God Almighty. I will not share my, give my praise to idols and share my praise with anyone. I didn't exactly quote it correctly, but that's what he says. God says he will not share, he will not give his glory to another or share his praise with idols. But then we have all these ridiculous rogues who have been thrown into into Christ, Christendom by, by Satan fulfilling nothing but the purposes of Satan misleading people all the way to hell as they rob them rob them of their financial and physical well-being but not just that worse still is rob them of their souls because as I said you cannot get to know the Lord you cannot be a son of God under the ministration of a, of a son of Satan it doesn't happen that way Jesus said a, 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 a bad tree cannot bear good fruit and you cannot plant figs and reap and harvest grapes from it no a false teacher will merely lead you or anyone following them all the way to hell that's the only way they know that's where they're headed themselves but they're somewhat discerning because people are too self-seeking. In verse 11 of Revelation 12, where it said, By the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Today's average Christian is terrified of death. Terrified of death. That's why, that's why the quest for all the healings and things are running around for. Do you know, whether you're well or sick, uh, or, or sick you're going to leave this world anyway. Whether you're rich or poor, you're going to leave this world anyway. Whether you're married or single, you're going to leave this world anyway. Whether you're employed or unemployed, you're going to leave this world. Whether you own your own business or not, or whether you own lands or not, whether you have houses or not, whatever your situation, you're going to leave this world anyway. Now, the testimony you're going to give before the Lord, because we are all going to stand before the judgment throne of God. Some will stand to be condemned, to be judged and condemned, and some will stand to be rewarded. But we are going to stand there. We're not going to avoid it. We are all going to stand there. And the testimony you're going to give is not as to what you were in the world, what you were able to accumulate or achieve in the world. Do you know what? Even if you serve the Lord faithfully, even if you serve the Lord faithfully, as the apostles did, as all the other beautiful, wonderful saints who served and were martyred and are still serving and are being martyred because it's still happening. People are still being killed for the message of the gospel. People are still living absolutely sacrificial lives because that is the life of Christianity. You cannot come, so say you're a Christian, come to Christ and still live your life in pride and arrogance, trudging about, doing what you want, rowing about, about after your own personal and selfish ambitions. That's what the godless do. That's what the godless do. So what's the difference between you and the people of the world? So people are still living for Christ. 
people are still living under the Lordship of Christ. People still love the Lord to the point of death. I will give up anything for the Lord. When I received my calling, I gave up my personal ambition for the Lord. Because the first day, in the first instance, the first few months I was called into ministry, I was offered a management post at the investment bank I, work, I worked in. And I had to turn it down. Because it would have involved my working um, hours that would clash with everything else I had to do for ministry. And not just that, taking on so much responsibility would have been draining on me in view of the responsibility of the church that I was to lead. So I had to turn it down. And to this day, I have refused to accept a management role. I've still stayed in the, in investment banking. I still work in investment banking. I've been 21 years now in investment banking, but I refuse to take on a management position. And now it's common knowledge, because the present bank I mean, I've been in now for 10 years. And it's common knowledge that Sarah refuses to, to, to do any more than she's doing because she has church commitments. She's a minister. It's common knowledge. Everybody knows it. And you know the amazing thing? I've got no cause for regret. Because though I do not have the title of management or manager, I am rewarded even above those who are managers. Amazing. Yes, I'm paid more. I've got more, My terms are different. I've got special terms. It's, it's common knowledge. I mean, of course, for that, I face a lot of opposition, a lot of envy and jealousy. But even when these things arise, God has his way of dousing them. The people are moved on abruptly or they leave, whatever it is. I have been secure and firm and standing. So I've got no regret. Because my only ambition now is to complete the race that is set before me. That race to eternity. Is to continue to uphold, to fight daily. To keep standing in the battle, upholding the word of truth. The gospel that saved me. The word of the Christ that gave himself for me. To uphold the honor and glory of the one who chose me for salvation. He did not have to choose me. I didn't do and have not done any good thing to this day. For which I could be worthy of salvation. It was God's sovereign choice. And it is a privilege and an honor to me that I, a wretch like this, dreadful sinner like me, should be redeemed by the Lord. And because he's chosen me, and not just that, he then entrusted me with his word. His word is his most valuable treasure. And to entrust me with it, to teach it and preach it. May the heavens forsake me if I refuse to speak God's truth. That is the highest honor anyone can be. To be a slave of Christ rather than a slave of the world. Yes, I am a slave of Christ and I'm very happy and very proud to be a slave of Christ because there's no other master I desire. Because sin no longer has mastery over me. It did, but it no longer does. Now I'm free. I work in freedom. Though I'm a slave of Christ. It's, 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 it's such a privileged situation and position to be in. So, I would willingly give up my life for Christ. I prepare my children for it every day. I tell them, look, I don't know the way things go. I don't know when the Lord will call me or how long I've got here. But if I should ever go at any time, please, there should be no mourning. There's nothing to mourn. You cannot mourn the living. Because I will only be starting the rest of my life, which is for all eternity. So I always say to them, please, I mean, tell people, I don't want any mourning. There's nothing to mourn or talk about. But rather... 
people should strive for the same because I'll be, I would have left victoriously. Whether I'm beheaded for the gospel or not, whether I'm shot for the gospel, it doesn't matter how. Whether it's through sickness, it wouldn't matter how I go. The fact remains, I'm going home. I'm going to be in the place where my Lord is. Because he went ahead of us to prepare a place for us. So I always say, I mean, please, no morning parties, but please, through the largest thanksgiving and praise worship that you can do. Because you'll be rejoicing with me in my joy and my glory. So there we have it. That is what the Christian life ought to be. But what we have now is a lot of selfish ambition, self-seeking, and it's called Christianity. No, it's not called Christianity. What's the distinction between you who just want to live for yourself? Look, let's see what what Paul says again in Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 1 to 5. Because all of the apostles had something to say about living for this world. They all had something to say. That was their testimony about being in Christ, living for God. And he said um, in Ephesians 2, from verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, he said, we used to be like that once. The life of personal ambition and selfish ambition, the life of wanting to have this and wanting to behold that and wanting to own this and wanting to become this, that should be your past life. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. That is the call to Christianity. You have to abandon all the ambition and everything you had in this life before because they're usually selfish and self-seeking. They do not agree with the plans of God. Now, that is not to say you won't have a career or you won't have a job. I mean, I just told you about mine. Yes, I do. I did leave. I abandoned my ambitions because I would have left the banking world ages ago. If I'd gone with what I wanted to do, I would have set up my own business ages ago. I was going to set up my own consultancy and everything. I'd bought my equipment and everything. I was relocating back to Africa. I'd secured a premises and everything. And then the Lord called me and I had to leave it all. It was three years after I was in ministry that I sold all the equipment I'd shipped out to Nigeria. So you see, you just have to. But I've got no, I've got no cause for regret. Because now, I thank God, I'm now able to pour all my energy into my service to God. And as for my personal needs, what is it? What, what do we need? What do we have all the ambitions for anyway? We want to make money. We want to do this so we can pay our bills and pay our way through life. Fine, all well and good. Because God has a dainty that through the work of our hands shall we eat and do all that we need to do in this world. But then it is God who blesses that effort. With minimum effort now, he gives an abundance. So that's the thing. You want to be, you're a Christian. You now must identify with Christ. Paul said it here. That look, 
as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We all were dead in our transgressions and sins, but we've been resurrected with Christ. So now the life we live, we, live, we must live for Christ. He said, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So you see that when you live in for this world, when you headlong into your personal preferences, your personal ambition, what you must have, what you must do, what you must own and all that, you are living under the kingdom and under the ministration of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And that's the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient because Jesus has called us to a life of obedience and he has called us to a life of sacrificial living, not selfish ambition. So you walk in disobedience. And if you walk in disobedience, how can you say you belong to the Lord? No, you can't belong to the Lord. You may say so. You might tell yourself so. But like I tell you, there's a big distinction between Christians and believers. There's a serious margin between them both. So that's fine. I mean, anybody can claim to be anything they want. That's why we've got the title mad world we live in nowadays. Everybody's a bishop or apostle or pastor or senior pastor or archbishop or something or the other. They love titles and award themselves titles, reverend, doctor, everybody is, you know. But does that make any difference before God? Does God respect titles? Is he interested in titles? No, he's not. No, he is not. So he says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Absolutely, and it says like the rest, because of those, because of that, living for the sinful nature and all the cravings, because of that we were by nature objects of wrath, destined for condemnation. Definitely, destined for judgment. And this is exactly why John the Apostle says exactly the same thing in issuing the warning in first John two, fifteen to seventeen, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Comes from Satan. And that's exactly what Paul said. Don't forget that John and Paul did not even serve together. But the Spirit of God is one. The teachings, the Word of God is one. So they were united in their teaching and their warnings and their exhortation to the rest of us. Like, you know what? You, you, you're a child of God? Drop all your selfish ambitions. Got to be this, got to have that, got to own this, got to, you know, cravings of our sinful nature, he says. You need to leave them behind and crave for heaven. Crave heavenly, immortal things. <laughs> 